The sun has left and forgotten me. It's dark, I cannot see. Your stories don't define you, but how you tell them will. Hi, I'm Sarah Elkins, your host and chief storymaker at Elkins Consulting. If you've been listening to this podcast, you know that what's meaningful to me is hearing other people's stories, honoring them, and uncovering parts of them that might be looked at from a different perspective. And today, I'm so grateful and excited to introduce you to my new friend, Mandy Graziano. She's in San Diego, and um, she reached out to me via LinkedIn. And the moment I saw her profile, I knew that we would have a great conversation and that you, my listeners, our listeners, will find it insightful and most likely quite humorous. Mandy, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. It's good to see you or meet you in, you know, face to face, virtually face to face. Yes, it's about time. I mean, after looking through your profile, I thought, I just kind of want to sit with her over a cup of coffee. Let's, <laughs> let's make that happen. We're not that far away. And we're sort of doing it. I've got a cup of tea. I don't know what you have, but we're sort of yeah, doing minus it. Yeah, tea as well. There we go. Mm -hmm. See, we're already connected. Twinsies. <laughs> so Mandy, you know, because you listened to a few episodes of my podcast, that I love to start the podcast by asking my guests to share something about themselves that most people don't know. And just as a little background, the reason I like to do this is that it puts things in perspective in terms of the rest of the stories my our listeners will hear. And one of the things that often happens is people get frozen in time, as my friend Amber Johnson says, and they hear one thing from somebody and it makes that like this one dimensional human being. So by asking this question, it gives people multi dimensions of my guest. So what are you thinking about? Ooh, I didn't know there was so much behind it. I love that. Um, I The first thing that comes to mind that most people don't know or probably wouldn't expect because I am an author and I wrote a book and I love to write is that I failed 11th grade English. And I failed it so bad that I had to actually go to night school, which then made me not be able to play softball later on that year. So it was like this snowball effect of like, I failed English and I failed it not because I didn't like writing or reading. It was just, I didn't like the teacher. And I was in high school, I was just defiant. And, and I'm sure he was a great teacher, but I was defiant. Or maybe not. <laughs> or not. Well, yeah. I mean, he couldn't reach the a couple, so he couldn't reach me as a student. But um, yeah, I just, I didn't like the teacher. So I acted out in class. I was the class clown. So there was a little uh, attention seeking, I'm sure. And, um, and you know, and I loved the vice, vice principal. I sat in his office during every class. So <laughs> as a result, I failed. He had those little Brock's candies, you know, those, I don't know if you remember yeah. those, like, those red yeah, candies, candies. With the, yeah, with the bubble gum on the inside. So I would just like chomp on some Brock's in Mr. Kroviak's office and then and then go to fourth period because third period was English. So, um, yeah, that was like a learning lesson for me, though. I mean, I wasn't a great student in high school. I failed 11th grade English because I didn't like the teacher and I ended up writing a book. So I don't think I don't think a lot of people would expect that or know that about me. Oh my gosh, that's so great. <laughs> yeah. And you're right. Like that would that would totally surprise me just knowing 5 minutes of you and reading on your your profile. But you know, I think failing a class in any subject 
often we associate that with failure across the board. We're, we're just not very smart or we're not good academically or whatever. And when we can look back at the reasons we failed a particular area, it's so rarely because we aren't smart. Mm-hmm. And, so and right. also like I, I almost failed anatomy and physiology. So I did, I don't know why I was taking it. I had no desire. I, I don't know why I was taking it, yeah. but I left at semester because I got a D at that first semester. And I thought I'm just going to fail the second semester. So cut, cut my losses. Right. Yeah. Why try? Yeah. Right. And what I realized is that I don't learn the way that that teacher was teaching. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not a rote memorization kind of person. I just don't have that kind of memory. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh my gosh. But I thought yeah. I wasn't very smart. You know, that senior year of high school failing a class or almost failing a class is like, okay, I'm just not that smart. And I was okay with that. I was kind of resigned to it. You just resign. You know, it's funny that you say that because I always have felt not that smart. And I feel like I've spent the second half of my life trying to prove I'm smart. And it's, and I don't know where mm. that came from. You know, I think maybe because I was always kind of silly and funny. I was more funny than smart. I, you know, I think now you can be all the things like you can be smart. You can be a girl. You can be funny. You can be assertive. You can be soft. You can, you can be right. all the things. But I think so many times we put people in these boxes where it's like, if you are the class clown, then you cannot be smart. Or if you are smart, you cannot be engaging or interesting and or an, um, athlete. And, or an or, athlete. Right. Yeah. And I don't know where any of that came from, but I do know I didn't do great in high school. I did, I did fine in college, but then it was all up to me because I was paying for it. Right. But I, right. I, I do have this <laughs> sense of like proving that I am smart yeah. up probably up until like five or six years ago or so. So it's interesting that you say that because somewhere at some point that nugget was planted and, and, and then you're, you're, constantly trying to unravel that your whole life too. Well, media doesn't help in that way. I think about the 80s and movies like Breakfast Club, anything Molly Ringwald, anything Ali Sheedy was uh, the stereotypes and like caricatures of stereotypes. So you Mm. had the jock, you had the performer, you had the nerd, you had, right? Like, and so we all, at least in the 80s, my my generation- um, I'm 53 now and the eighties were like all about being pretty. Yeah. Right. I mean, if, uh, and sweet and I didn't fit either of those, but that's right. I think, Me neither. Right. <laughs> it was so, so obnoxious. Like, yeah. I know I'm not sweet. I would love yeah. to be sweet. And I tried yeah. really hard, but yeah. I'm, I've command in my top strengths finder talent. So that <laughs> I, I could be very nice and kind, but sweet was not a word for mm-hmm. me. Uh, but it's so fascinating how we pigeonhole ourselves. I, I'm not so sure that anyone pigeonholed me, but mm. I did it to myself because that's what I was seeing in the the movies and TV shows of the 80s. And and maybe the and that's continued. I mean, mm-hmm. even after my generation, I saw it in the in my son's TV shows, those caricatures of stereotypes. So that's really fascinating. So when you say I was proving that I was smart, was that to you or was it to others? And and how did that show up? Yeah, I don't know. It's funny that you say that because I was just thinking about that. I'm not sure. I think, you know, I think 
after high school or even even during high school in my downtime i was reading stocks and you know this is when you looked at your stocks in the newspaper i was reading um you know stock numbers i was obsessed with like where did mcdonald's get all the beef for all the cows do they own the cows like I would go down these roads. Now I understand it's just this crazy passion for business operations and trying to understand business. As an entrepreneur, I'm lucky that I have that passion still, but I didn't know what that, I it was very displaced back then. Right. Um, but I also <laughs> would read a lot and, um, and I loved independent movies. And, you know, I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio and Cleveland has evolved so much, but I would say in the, in the 80s and the early 90s when I was there, you know, it wasn't a super popular thing to go to an art gallery or go to see an independent movie or go to a poetry slam, all that stuff I love. So I didn't get to channel any of that probably until after college and probably till I moved to San Diego. I've been in San Diego for 23 years. And I think when I moved to San Diego, I finally felt like, oh, there's there's all these different people like avenues. Me. People yeah, like me. Right. There's there's creative people. There's weird people. There's people that like to be outside and like the sunshine. Now, um, all my family and friends in Ohio now are are the same, right? I think it's because like different stores are there now, or different access to thing, you know, things are there now, or maybe mm-hmm. it was always there, but I just was I never discovered it. Um, but I love right. going back to Ohio and walking around the metro parks. Why I never did that when I was a kid, I'm not sure, but I. Um, I don't know if it was just me not channeling it or me not having access to it or me not knowing where I fit at the time. Well, I I think a lot of us experience that in the towns where we grew up. Mm -hmm. And that's partly because it's, it's really interesting to me. I've interviewed hundreds of people on this podcast. I'm coming up to my 300th episode in a couple of weeks. Congratulations. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. And one thing that has been so common is um, first of all, people, when they answer the question, what people don't know about me, many say, I think people would be surprised to know that I'm more of an introvert, that I'm Mm -hmm. kind of shy. And given what I do, whether it's public speaking or musician or whatever, um, they're like, given what I do, people just kind of assume I'm an extrovert, but really, so that's a common answer, Mm -hmm. which I don't find it... um, less interesting because it's a common answer. As a matter of fact, I find it more interesting. And each person has these unique and beautiful stories they share. Mm-hmm. So the other thing that people say is, and I'm I'm going to quote this, I never really fit in. Mm, I've only had one person in so, and including all my StrengthsFinder coaching that I've done for the last few years, o- over a thousand people that I've coached with this tool, people say that. Only once did somebody say, I was the quintessential jock. I totally fit in. And then Mm. he said, and I worked my ass off to get out. Mm, That's interesting. Yeah. So I think um, if, if so many of us feel like we never fit in, where does that leave communities? Like, I I think it's like the reshaping of what does fitting in mean? You know, I mean, I think, why why do we have to have that mindset that we have to fit in or fit out like like why can't we all just be and accept all of the awesome things about us and not put everybody in boxes i i think exactly i think that would be my my rebuttal to that i mean because i 
you know, I was a cheerleader and I was involved and I, and I played softball and I had my communities. I was president of the Spanish club. You know, I think people would be surprised also to hear that I felt like I never fit in. And I think I did feel like I fit in with certain people. Like I always felt like I fit in with my family. Mm -hmm. I felt like I fit in with certain gal pals, but in the big picture of things, um, like I would go to Ann Arbor, Michigan, which was quite a drive from Cleveland and see all the creative people there and the coffee shops and the open mic nights. Mm -hmm. And that's when I felt like I fit in, or I would go to Cleveland Heights, which is East side of Cleveland where the museums are and all the little shops over there. And I would be like, Oh, like I, you know, that feeling that you get when you're surrounded by what you think you, where you think you belong, and so, uh-huh. um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, oh, um, key word. I, yeah. Where you think you belong. I think I had to seek it out, but there's also a flow state that, that happens when you're surrounded either with people or environments that you do feel comfortable. So mm-hmm. I think it's less about fitting in and putting yourself in an environment where you feel like you can grow or you can, you can mutually serve. Yes. Well, I, I'm so glad you brought up that distinction because what I keep thinking about as you're speaking is the distinction between fitting in and belonging. Mm. And there's a huge distinction. I never want to fit in Mm -hmm. because fitting in gives that um, general um, acceptance of putting yourself aside, Mm -hmm. you know, going along to get along. Mm -hmm. And I don't believe in that. Yeah. So I'm so glad you brought that up. And when you said, in a place where you feel like you belong, that's totally different from fitting in. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Wow. So let's, um, let's pull this into what you do now, because I know that this is all perfect introduction for what you do. So what I would love for you to share is a story that demonstrates what you do. So instead of telling us, I do this, tell a story that demonstrates it. Do you already have something in your head? Ooh, well, I'm thinking about which one since I do so many things. I, I, I know. I'll, I'll tell. I'll, <laughs> I know, I'll tell. Um, let me think about this. Think I'll about tell, your favorite client, like yeah. the the kind of work you just. I mean, all my work lights me up, but think about one client that really lights you up, and and what your experience has been with that person or yeah. business. I mean, I I'll, I will say this from a story perspective. Nothing makes me happier than being in a room full of salespeople or people in business. And we come to the room with one sales tip, but we leave the room rolling my sleeves up, flash fire, solving life problems. And people realize, oh, like I'm not the only one with this problem. This problem's been had before. There's a creative way to solve this problem. And I... I love when people can walk away physically with like practical, tactical tips and they can solve their sales problems. And then I get an email or a text message or something the next day or so. I mean, this happens to me all the time. Like I'll do a coaching, a sales coaching class for groups of salespeople, most of them in hospitality, but a lot of them to people that sell to people in hospitality. And I'll get an email the next day or two days later, and it'll be a forward from an email that they sent to a client and like a quick response from the client. And that's 
to me, I'm like that it worked. Like yes. we, we sweated together in that room, you know, and then, and then you left and then you tried it and it worked and it's okay if it failed too, but it worked this one time. So I, for me, like that, that lights me up every single time. And if I never heard from the people in the room, that would be fine. That's kind of like the cherry on the whipped cream. But I think the whipped cream part is just that vibe, that feeling of being in that room, whether it is virtual or whether it is live and, and just sharing live stories of, you know, me as a buyer, as a sales coach, and then in, in the field and sharing that we have something in common, give me the problem, let's solve it. And then, then, then you just release, <laughs> then they, you just unleash everybody into the wilderness. And, right. you know, when they come back and let you know, it's awesome. Yeah, uh, totally agree. Mm-hmm. That's definitely, um, I, I can, that resonates with me. So when you think about a particular time that that happened, mm-hmm. um, and the reason I asked this is because I recently was invited to um, submit a proposal for a company to do StrengthsFinder work. And mm-hmm. what they told me their problem was, was interesting. You know, mm-hmm. it's uh, oftentimes they'll say, well, this person or this part of the team isn't working and they believe they know what the problem is. They never and know. so I, I write the proposal to solve yeah. that problem, but mm-hmm. I know, I immediately know that that's not actually what's going on. If you're, I mean, if you're going to be honest with yourself, here's what's actually the problem that needs to be right. solved. Right. So I, you're like, oh yes, I can see the wheels turning in your head. Yeah. That happens all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I think so people, me- yeah, they think they know what the problem is and then you get to know them a little bit more. And then you're like, here's the problem we're going to solve. Like this is going to change right. your whole world. Right. Exactly. But you have to go in with the understanding that they believe that this is the problem and start mm-hmm. to unpack it for them with them, mm-hmm. as opposed to just saying, that's not your problem. Here's your yeah. problem. Right. And I know this from a practical standpoint, because that's what a coach did for me. Mm. And I went, oh, Oh, oh my gosh. (laughs) Wow. You just threw my blinders off and shredded them. (laughs) It was amazing. So tell me about a time you did that for a client. Well, this happens, I would say 60, 70% of the time on a first call with, you know, it's normally like a chief sales officer, vice president of sales or an owner of a company. And we talk about what their sales process look like. What, you know, how, how does your business come in? What does your sales cycle look like? We just kind of go through the process. And they always say to me, well, our problem isn't leads. We get plenty of leads. We get plenty of RFPs. Our problem is conversion. And I know in the back of my head, the problem is the leads. Like <laughs> it's, Awesome that you're getting Who are the these, leads you're bringing in, right. right? It's or how are you get or how are you cultivating them? How qualified are they? Right. What is that process to go out and get the leads? What is the mechanism? A lot of times it's just technology, or sometimes it's a lead catcher. But like the problem is always the leads, even though they will always say we don't we don't need any coaching on prospecting. I'm like, okay, let's let's. But then the reality is, is there it's partially the way the leads are coming in. It's partially what they do with the leads. It's always about follow-up. It's it's always. Uh, always about not sending that super boring checking in email in that subject line. It's what does that subject right. line look like? What are you doing to connect? What are you doing to be engaging? And so 
um, you know, that's that conversation. So I always listen to that. And then, and then I have the conversation about, okay, can you imagine a world where you actually made a list of your perfect clients, not the names, but the qualities of that perfect client? And let's imagine a world where you didn't have any leads coming in and all you did was just go out and seek out that perfect client. And now you have like 10 of those perfect clients instead of one perfect client and then nine clients that just came to you that you're taking so much time to manage and you get belly aches and you get some tears and you're stressed out. Like just imagine (laughs) a world where you go out and find the perfect client. So then, you know, we do talk about that lead, setting up your systems to where that lead structure looks different, qualifying it. And then once you get that golden egg of awesomeness, how are we moving the needle with every interaction and every interaction can't be an email. It has to be, a, a text or a video or a LinkedIn engagement or a, a, phone, a phone call, call. And, mm-hmm. and an email. Like it can be all those, can, something cool you send in the mail. It has to be all these things. So it normally starts with uh, we don't need help with RFPs and that ends right. with, can you help us qualifying better RFPs? But it's <laughs> yes. all that little, it's all the stuff in the sandwich in between too. So mm-hmm. sometimes, um, I'll have people that come to me and say, we don't need help with RFPs and that we identify, you know what, you don't need help with RFPs, but your time management is what is preventing you from converting this. Or, you know, we don't need help with RFPs, but this person in a leadership role is an awesome salesperson. Let's just make them the absolute best salesperson on the team. And let, how about they're not a leader? Like some great salespeople aren't great leaders and some great leaders aren't great salespeople. So sometimes it's push, pulling the bodies in a different direction too, and then elevating different people's skill sets. Um, and they don't even know, you know, amplifying a skill right. set they didn't know they had. I love that you just brought that up. Mm-hmm. Mandy, that is so thoughtful and insightful. And um, I was just thinking that a lot of what you're saying is resonating because my friend Ruben Schwartz talks about it. He is the Mimiron guy. And Mimiron is a CRM for people mm-hmm. like me. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, the small solopreneurs that really aren't interested in building a business empire, mm-hmm. <laughs> but they do need some accountability to keep track of their clients and to be able to bring in qualified leads. And um, but what you just said changes that whole dynamic is once you've brought in these qualified leads, who in your organization is the right person to handle each aspect of that sales process. Mm-hmm. And you're, I'm going to repeat this to you that you just said. So our listeners hear it again. Sometimes the best salespeople aren't great leaders and managers. And sometimes the best leaders and managers aren't the best salespeople and making sure you have the right bodies, the right people in the right places. What that screams to me is first of all, strengths finder. And it's mm-hmm. not that there are certain talents that are better at sales. It really depends on what you're selling and what people are buying. But more importantly, knowing that when people are in those right places, they enjoy their work more. So much more. And it goes so much more satisfied, right? It goes back to where you belong, that flow state we talked about. You're not fighting it. You're not fighting it. And I can't tell you, I had a client several years ago who it was, um, and this happens a lot. People will, I'll come in for coaching of the big team and then they'll pull me aside and say, Hey, 
we've got this one person that we want to do some leadership coaching with because we think this person is a great a potential leader in our organization. And I'll always ask, well, what makes you think they're a great leader? Well, because they produce the most business. And then I always say, that doesn't necessarily mean a big, a great leader, but let's do a couple sessions and let's see. And, you know, this was many years ago and I knew it going in, but I didn't want to taint the opinion of the, of the person I was with. And, um, and we went through two or three sessions and this person it, admitted towards that last session, like, I don't really feel comfortable managing people. I am really comfortable managing clients, but I'm not comfortable managing people on my team. And I was like, guess what? You don't have to do that. Like there is no shame in being the absolute most awesome top salesperson in your organization for all the possible years. Now we can work on how to keep it sexy, fresh, awesome, interesting, and continue to build your sales skills, right? And sustainable and also- succession planning like how yes. are you helping others become as good as you are like right. where are you mentoring versus managing because right. way more people are comfortable mentoring than managing right and accidentally mentoring because this person yes. when it when she felt like i have to manage some the pressure to help somebody grow was daunting for her where it's like listen just lead by example just share one tip once a week in the meeting of something that has worked for you in the past. And, and that is mentoring without mentoring. You then you're, you're, right. you're rising up everybody around you without telling people what to do, but exactly. Um, yeah. Informal but I know mentoring. what you mean about the, the sales to boss, boss to sales. It's not always the best match and that's okay. All of that's okay. Right. Well, I read mm-hmm. a really interesting article years ago about the tech industry when, um, as it was coming up through the dot-com boom and then into the internet life and all the, the engineers, software engineers that were behind it, the programmers, and how there, this article was about how many tech folks who had made a ton of money and were living homeless lives after mm. because they were promoted because they were so good technically they were promoted to positions of management and most of the ones that they were talking about this is a this is a lot this is like 20 percent of the population mm-hmm. actually were on the autism spectrum mm-hmm. and really are not people people mm-hmm. and that's not their strength and it's not their interest and mm-hmm. they felt compelled to accept these promotions because it was the only way to move up and make more money and and was to be to manage people. And yeah. I keep thinking about HR systems saying you have to have this many reports in order to mm-hmm. rise to the next level. It's like boo, that's so boo, stupid. Boo, boo. <laughs> so short sighted. Yeah. Right? Yes. I love that you just brought that up. Yeah. So um tell me, do you work with teams to or organizations to manage that whole process of like business structure? Yes and no. Um, So I've been hired to work with entrepreneurs that are developing a new revenue stream for their company and they want to determine, will this work? Will this not? We need a roadmap. Um, I've worked Mm -hmm. with entrepreneurs that are just starting out. Maybe they were an awesome entrepreneur at their corporate cushy job and they want to leave it, but they don't know how to start. And they want to, um, they need some business systems set up, but they also want to have some accountability. Cause you know, when, 
when you're in that corporate environment, you have performance reviews and 360 and all that stuff. But when you're an entrepreneur, you don't have a boss and it does feel good to have some level of accountability. So um, that's where I'll serve as a satellite director of sales for them, write a roadmap, hold them accountable um, and help them set up their systems. Now, I physically don't set up their systems, but if they need advice on a, a CRM, if they need advice on, you know, they'll ask questions about, should I be an LLC? Should I be an S corp? That isn't my forte. I'm not in that business, but I know from my own experience and then I have contacts I can, you know, connect them to. But um, yeah, I mean, it just depends on what the business needs. And I'm very honest. I mean, there have been people that have come to me over the years to ask me for help in different things. And I'm like, that sounds fascinating, but I, I, I cannot in good faith charge you because I don't know anything about that, but here's like three or four people that do. And I love connecting people and making introductions too. I love that you brought that up too. Um, because I, I really could have used that kind of help when I started my business, mm-hmm. the, especially the accountability you'll crack up. If you listen to my 300th episode coming up, mm-hmm. um, because that's, that's what it's about is the fact that this coach that let me know what my blind spot was, you know, threw off my blinders and shredded them. The same coach helped identify the areas where I needed that kind of accountability. Mm-hmm. That is my blind spot. I, and I really could have used that help early, but I couldn't have afforded it then. Yeah. So I, I love that you do that. And especially, I love this idea that you recognize and are resourceful for the things that you don't do. Because again, yeah. I've gotten in my own way with that. So developing, helping people develop that clarity of where their expertise really is and having that personal board of directors and resources to be able to make recommendations because you're still adding value saying, oh, well, I, I don't do that, but here are three people that I highly recommend. Yeah. I want to, I am all about solving problems and sometimes solving problems doesn't mean me solving the problem. Sometimes Mm -hmm. solving a problem means me referring you to somebody that can solve your problem. Right. So um, that's important. And I learned the really hard way early on, you know, my coaching business is 17 years old, which is crazy, right? That's, that's, that feels like a lifetime. And so I learned so many lessons early on about being all things to all people. You know, I learned early on, um, I, you know, I have a huge hospitality background and I had a whole bunch of venues that wanted me to do sales coaching for them. And when we got in there, what sales coaching meant to me was I can consult you, advise you, tell you what to do, make some introductions. Sales coaching to them meant you're going to do all these venue sales for me. And <sighs> and and I tried it a couple of times. I brought some people on. I tried it. I thought, well, I'm not going to be close to this. Let's try it. And it ended up being, it was great and lucrative for a, a little part of time, but it ended up not being what I wanted to do with my coaching business because it, it made the market confused um, because of my some of my other businesses. And mm-hmm. um, it's not sustainable. And it ultimately, you know, these are small business owners that own restaurants and bars and all these great places, right? That, you know, me doing sales for them wasn't it it it's it's great. But like that's not they they need to have somebody that they can pay and put in that role and then I can coach that person or let that person mm-hmm. know how to how to do it. Um, but I learned that the hard way. And, you know, that was me trying to be all things to all people and saying yes to everything 
And then I learned, yeah, that's just not my jam. That's not my lane. And, um, and, and I, mm-hmm. and I did that. I had done that years before and that's not, I didn't want to go back to that. You know, I wasn't, I didn't want to be mm-hmm. on anybody's payroll again. I wanted to be on my mm-hmm. own payroll. So did you find that, um, that you developed that clarity over time and that your revenue reflected that in a positive way? Yeah. And not only my revenue, but my time management reflected it. And when my time management reflected it, my revenue reflected it exponentially. So, you know, I think the the more and more clear I have gotten about all my businesses, that my time that I have to run the businesses has expanded. You know, and I think about my the other side of my business, my HPM business, where I book conferences for people all over the world. You know, I used to just do that for everybody, every single client. And now I have, you know, I'm looking up at it. I have three rules of taking new clients and you have to fit into these little categories or I can't take you. Now, it doesn't mean I can't help you. It means that I have other people that can help you. But for me to actually work on it, I can't. So I think like making, establishing your own rules for yourself of who you take as a client and why you take them as a client is important for time management and revenue growth. Um, but I, I also think like really niching down in that business of like, where do you perform the best? Like I, I perform the best in a group setting. I love a stage. I love rolling my sleeves up. We just talked about that. So I want to do as many group coaching sessions as I can. Cause I love that. Will I do one-on-one? For sure. I still love that, but I love the group more, right? So Mm -hmm. if I have an opportunity to talk to people in a day and both people want to talk at 10 a.m. and one is a group coaching opportunity, one's a one-on-one, I'm going to take the group coaching and I'm going to move the one-on-one to a couple weeks later kind of thing. So I I think really Mm -hmm. honing in on not just what you're really good at, but what you love, it, it, it helps you be a better time manager. And when you're a better time manager, your revenue always grows. Yeah, for sure. I have two stories that just popped into my head that are related to that. One was um, I was really struggling with bookkeeping. And um, at one of my no longer virtual events, uh, Ben Walker and Eric Elkins, my brother, did a session on um, uh, the tools to use to build your business. Mm -hmm. And one of the things Ben said was, you are awesome at A people will pay you to do A because you're so good at it. You're so influential in that area. If you are spending time doing B, you are leaving impact and money on the table. Mm-hmm. And it, that really hit me one day as I was stressing over trying to figure out my bookkeeping because that's not my area of expertise. Mm-hmm. My MBA was in management and strategy, not in finance right. or accounting. So um, I finally reached out to my accountant who gave me a bookkeeper recommendation, and I've been working with her ever since. And the story is, we met one day over coffee. Um, I hired her immediately. I trusted her immediately. Every time we met after that was over Zoom so that she could walk me through doing things myself and know which things I was going to delegate to her and her team. Mm -hmm. And I was like freaked out about the cost. And I can tell you within three months of hiring this woman, the income I generated more than covered the cost of what I had hired her to do. Well over. I agree. I feel like I have a million stories like this too. I mean, and I understand that because I've been through that too, where I'm like, I don't want to pay this for this. 
And then you bite the bullet and you do it. And three months later, you're like, I'm not even worried about paying this. This is, and I, and it's off your mind. I think people discount the value of peace of mind. Like when Mm. you have peace of mind because you are outsourcing or you're delegating, there's so much more space in your brain to be able to do the stuff you were meant to do. And so, I mean, I actually have gone through this, this past year, a big transition. I have more people on my team now. I'm paying more people to do things now than ever before. And I last year said, okay, you know, 2023 is going to be the year where I'm scaling one business. I'm growing the other. It's going to be the year of efficiency. Um, I'm it's not, I'm not going to be as profitable because I'm going to outsource and pay. But the crazy thing is we sit here in September and I'm doing better this year than I ever have. And I've got former people working with me than I have before. So I, I think um, it, it is, it's super scary, whether it is that first coach that you invest in or that first salesperson you invest in or that first bookkeeper, all of that mm-hmm. is super scary. But I I can't tell you how many people have the same story as you do where they just bite the bullet, they do mm-hmm. it and they don't look back. They, they right. are so glad they did, you know? So um, the, I'm glad I think the key too story. is having those kinds of people in your circle. Again, I call them my personal board of directors that mm-hmm. I trust Yeah, that tell me, okay, this is something that maybe you could delegate or my coach that walked me through all of my activities, all the tasks that I do to say, okay, which of these can be delegated so that mm-hmm. you can focus on what you do well. So having that circle is so critical. Yeah. I do something on Fridays now that I never used to do that my coach, Scott Ballard, who is awesome, he um, he has me on Fridays looking at the week ahead of everything I have to do and making a list of what can I delegate. So it's an administrative task for about an hour on Fridays that I'm looking at my week and I'm like, okay, this goes to this person, this goes to this person, where before I was willy nilly delegating it, but I wasn't strategically delegating it. Mm -hmm. And so I think the other, you know, delegating and outsourcing is important, but I think also strategically setting time to look at the big picture to delegate and outsource was a step I hadn't been taking. And I started taking over the last several months and that's made a big difference too. I love it. It's so thoughtful. I've been telling people um, that call me for coaching or do discovery call or whatever. I say, whoever you're calling for these discovery calls, I'm assuming you're calling more than one person for the discovery call to see where you're going to be the best fit. Mm -hmm. If any of them don't, mention or how did I put this? I always ask my coach who's coaching them. Mm. When was the last time you had somebody help you work through a problem? Um, I want to know that whoever is coaching me is also understanding where their blind spots are and they're working with somebody to bring their best self. Yeah. And if you're working with somebody who isn't seeking out mentorship or coaching, in one way or another, like I've done some bartering where I've mm-hmm. done some work for somebody and they've coached me in return. Yeah. I've got a barter. I've got a barter in play right now too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a different, whole different situation, but exactly. So yeah, whatever it, it is, um, if you're not seeking out your own learning, your own professional development, how can you tell other people to do that? Mm-hmm. So I love that you do that. You just, uh, you just made my day, Mandy. That was great. Aww, so now on. we've kind of come full circle because 
that whole idea of proving to yourself and others that you're smart. I mean, that was like the first part. You failed this English course and here you are clearly competent in the work that you do. I mean, so obviously by the stories you're telling and by the passion you share them with. Mm. Um, so as we're coming full circle, what would you tell the 17-year-old that failed English and had to take evening classes and Ugh. not get to do your favorite athletic um, activity? Yeah. Just tell her to listen a little bit more. She was a real chatterbox and felt like she had so much to prove. And 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 I, you know, when you talked earlier about people wouldn't think you're an introvert, extrovert. I am extrovert, extrovert. I, I love a stage. I love being in crowds. I get energy from strangers, all of that. But I will say something that I need for myself, I've learned over the years is I need some silence. I need a cause for pause. I need downtime. All of that is really important. And I think really hyper people like me um, don't give themselves that time and that silence and that space. And that's just something I've learned that I needed maybe over the last two or three years. And I vigilantly take that time for myself now. But I would probably go back and tell that 17-year-old, like, go sit in a dark room for about an hour and close your eyes and li just listen, <laughs> listen to the darkness, be alone with your thoughts. Yes. Yeah. Just slow it down, girlfriend. But you know, we're not, our, our, our uh, brain, even at that age, isn't developed enough to know right. what we need or what we want. So I think that's right. something I'm, I wouldn't change it. Right. I'm glad it worked the way it did, but I'm really also happy that I found this this great space for peace and quiet that I enjoy now that I never knew I needed. Yeah, it was that grace that you're giving your your younger self that grace while still acknowledging that, man, it could have been a little easier if I had just <laughs> just zipped. It I a know, times. Oh yeah, <laughs> so many of those cringeworthy <laughs> moments for yeah. sure. Yeah. Mandy, this has been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me today. Listeners, if you'd like to find Mandy, um, links to her website and where you can follow her on LinkedIn and other social media will be in the blog post associated with this podcast at elkinsconsulting.com. Mandy, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This has been a joy. You are spectacular and I, I can't wait to continue our conversations. Thank you. Listeners, it's your turn. What are you going to do with this information that you received today? This gift of a, a moment where you could develop clarity about what activities you really like to do, the activities that bring you that kind of passion, where you can find time in your day every day to do those things. Because it's not just at work, but at work is where you spend most of your time. So find opportunities to feed that, to find more satisfaction. And maybe it's time to reach out to a coach to help you with that clarity. Thanks for listening to Your Stories Don't Define You, How You Tell Them Well. Smile, what's the use of crying? You'll find that life is still worthwhile if you just smile